take your Bibles and turn with me. We're going back uh, to the Scripture um, that we I preached to you when I preached last on, on Sunday morning about alone. But we're going back to the Scripture because out of this is where this series was really birthed. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 36. Matthew chapter 26 and beginning at verse 36. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. Now, the word Gethsemane, it represented the garden of Gethsemane. It was a garden of, uh, of olive trees, an olive grove, if you will. And it literally means, the word Gethsemane literally means olive press. It's a place of the press. So these olive trees are there and, and they will be uh, harvested and then pressed. It's a place of pressing. Okay, And so he comes to Gethsemane and he said to the disciples, sit here. While I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. You, if you go back when he calls them, you will find that. So he, he takes Peter, James, and John. What most people will refer to as the inner circle of the disciples, if you will. It was the same ones that he would take up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. He took them with him and he began to be sorrowful. And deeply distressed. So you've got disciples, all of them other than Judas, who's not there at the time. He's going to make an appearance in a little bit. Um, but you've got all of the disciples sitting, and he's asking them to pray. And then he takes Peter, James, and John a little farther, sets them there, and asks them to pray. And then he's going to go a little farther alone and begin to pray. Okay? And, and, he, and so he begins to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. That was the command. Stay here and watch with me. And he, Jesus, went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. And he began to say, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? It, it surprised Jesus. He had asked them to stay. He said, my soul is sorrowful. I'm, I'm struggling in this moment. So sit here, watch, and pray with me. And he went and prayed. And when he came back, and he must have prayed for an hour, apparently, uh, somewhere around that time frame, because he comes back and he says, what, could you not pray with me? Could you not watch with me for an hour, one hour? Watch and pray, verse 41, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is it indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you ever found when it comes to prayer, your flesh is weak? What does that look like? What does it look like when we understand when it comes to prayer, our flesh is weak? Any any comments on that? What does that look like to have weak flesh when it comes to prayer? One way our flesh is weak 
is when we pray, our flesh wants to go to sleep. Another way is our flesh wants to seem to get uncomfortable. How many have ever d- discovered that, that flesh gets uncomfortable when you pray? Because prayer does something to flesh. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You're, you're going to get uncomfortable. That, that's why, you know, I, you, I don't know how you pray. Everybody prays differently, and it's not about the posture of your prayer. That's not what makes prayer powerful. But I move when I pray. I, I move, and there's, there's a couple reasons why I do that. Because I, I don't want to give my flesh the opportunity to get uncomfortable enough or to, or to try to then get comfortable enough because flesh can get comfortable enough to try to go to sleep or uncomfortable enough to distract you. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and so I, I will move, and I'm moving all around. I'm disciplining my flesh that it's going to pay attention. It's going it's to stay and, and be a part of this. And so their flesh had grown weak, and they were not watching and praying. Spirit is willing. Desire can be there for believers. Probably for true believers and followers of Christ, the desire to communicate with the Father is there. But the flesh that seems to dominate often is weak. Okay? That's what he's saying to them. So then verse 42. So again, a second time, Jesus went away and prayed. So a second time, Jesus goes and he prays. And this time he says, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. I want you to notice the difference in Jesus and the disciples. He's agonizing in prayer. He is accomplishing something in prayer. Okay, verse 43. And he came, and what did he do? He found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy. So their flesh was weak, even though their spirit was willing. And their eyes were heavy, so that they couldn't see what was happening. They were, they, whether they were close enough to hear Jesus or not, they were close enough to see His agony. But now their eyes are heavy. So the second time He comes back, their eyes are heavy. Mm, okay? Okay, so he left them and he went away, and he came and he found them and their eyes were heavy. Verse 44, so he left them, he went away again, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them the third time, are you still sleeping and resting? So while he's in agony over the change of eternity that is about to take place, they're not only sleeping, They are resting. Amen. Do you know you can sleep and not fully rest? You can sleep kind of a disturbed sleep and not really find rest. But what catches my attention in this is the disciples, they, they were so comfortable in their sleeping that they were, I mean, they were resting in this. They were getting some good, productive sleep while Jesus is agonizing. And I I just got to say to you, I, I really feel like, and it really seems like that many who call themselves believers, we're not talking about the world, the world doesn't watch and pray. 
We're talking about believers. But I, I believe there are so many that they seem to be so distracted. They are sleeping. Their flesh is weak. Their eyes are heavy. They're not seeing properly. Their flesh is weak. They are sleeping. But not only that, they are resting in their sleep. So it's no longer even disturbing to them. That they're, number one, not doing what the Lord asked. And number two, not involved in what the Lord is doing. Amen. Because here's the thing about prayer. And, and we're going somewhere with this. But here's the thing about prayer. Prayer is what the Lord commands and asks of us. And also, prayer is what the Lord is doing among us that we should be involved in with Him. So He asks us to do it, and then we, because He ever lives now to intercede for us. He's the high priest that goes in before the Father. He is the one that takes our petitions, make our, our petitions known through Him. And, and so, so many believers are resting in their disobedience, resting in their failure. It's not even disturbing to them anymore. These are disciples. A lack of prayer will cause you to rest in your failure. How many understand we are never called to rest in anything but Christ? He is our rest. You know that Sabbath that was set up from the beginning? That, that we see God Himself in the creation story. On the seventh day, He rested. He said everything was good. And He rested. And all throughout, they were called to keep a Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath day holy unto the Lord. It was a day of rest. Don't work on that day. It's a day of rest. And kept out of when Christ came, He is the Sabbath. He is the rest for us. He is that, that one that we find rest in. But sadly, many disciples are just like these disciples. And they are not resting in Christ and what He's doing. They are resting in failure and disobedience. So much so to the point that they're not even disturbed by it any longer. A lack of prayer... A lack of, of communicating with the Father causes that. Wow. So he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Verse 45. Behold, the hour is at hand. It's on us. It's here. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. They didn't see it because their eyes were heavy. They didn't discern it because their flesh was weak. And they weren't prepared in the moment because they were resting in failure and disobedience. Come, come on, church. Well, I wonder how many of us, we are caught so off guard by things that come upon this world and things that we go through. And I wonder how many times we are caught so unaware because we are not praying. Because if we are praying, if we are communicating with God, then we should be aware of some things. We're going to find when we get into the book of Acts that that early church, they, they had an awareness about them. They, they, Paul had the awareness that there was a door opened for him. 
He could hear the Spirit enough that even though he wanted to go certain places, he would be led other places by the Spirit of God. They had an awareness about them that they had to obey God rather than men. They had an awareness about them in, in their times of prayer that would shake prisons for, uh, open, that, that would change cities and, and truly change nations. They had an awareness of what was coming. They were like the sons of Issachar. They had the understanding of the times that they were living in. Because they were people of prayer. The Bible says they would be daily in prayer. And, and we're going we're gonna to talk just a little bit about that. But here's what I want to say to you. This was the, the, the prophetic word that I've heard in my spirit that started this journey. And that prophetic word was that the Spirit of the Lord is moving in Gethsemane again. The Spirit of the Lord is stirring in Gethsemane in this time of transition. And the only ones that are going to be ready are the ones that are engaging. Gethsemane is the place of the press. And so the Spirit of the Lord is moving in the place of the press. In pressing times, the Spirit of the Lord is moving. But we find at Gethsemane, the only one who was prepared to change the world in the time of pressing was Jesus as He prayed. And the followers of Christ were not praying and were not ready. Now let me share with you what I said. This, this Garden of Gethsemane, gardens are beautiful places but they are places of combat. They are places of tending and pruning and waiting. There's always a fight going on in a garden because something is trying to be produced and something is trying to limit or steal that production. So even though they are beautiful places, they are places of warfare. And in times of pressing, in pressing places, it is time for warfare. And I've got to tell you, we are living in pressing times right now. We are living in the garden of the press right now. We are, we are being pressed at every turn. We don't know what to do. But I wonder if we would spend time communicating with the Father and praying if we would not be able to accomplish change like Jesus rather than being like the disciples without prayer and resting in failure and, and disobedience. The men at Gethsemane that did not engage the disciples and Judas that's going to come later with the Roman soldiers that are going to arrest Jesus. Everyone in the story that does not engage in prayer in the place of the press, here's what they produce. They produce outbursts of anger. Remember Peter jumps up and takes off an ear of a soldier. And Jesus picks it up and heals his ear, puts it back in place, and tells Peter to put his sword away, produce outbursts of anger. It, it, when the ones that didn't pray, it produced fear. They fled, they ran, so much so that John, it says, John doesn't name him by name, but, but John is who it is, says that, that he, he, they grabbed his garment and he ran out of his garment and fled. Fear was produced. Because when you don't pray and the press happens, you're afraid. There's a message right there. 
Let me, let me break it down for you just in plain English. When you're not praying and a pandemic happens, all you can operate in is fear. Amen. That, that breaks it down pretty plain, right? Fleeing produced. Here's another thing that was produced, and let's, let's, let's look at it. And I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, so just bear with me a little bit. Let's skip on down. They come and they arrest him, and, and they seize him. And verse 56 of Matthew chapter 26 but all this was done that the scriptures of the, of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All the disciples forsook him and fled. That's what it produces. That's what a lack of prayer in times of pressing produces. They turned their back on Jesus. The one who was the answer and had the answer. And those, verse 57, who had laid hold of Jesus, led him away to Caiaphas, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now listen, verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance. There's another thing that a lack of prayer in the time of pressing produces, is it produces disciples that only follow at a distance and are easily swayed to deny. Amen. See, prayer needs to be prioritized because it will make us powerful. Now, on the other side of that, look at what is produced in the place of press when you do engage in prayer. Jesus changed the world. Now, you could say, well, He's the Son of God. He was going to go to the cross and die. I'm not, I'm not going to die for the sins of the world. No, but the, the story is this. If we will engage in prayer in the time of the press, we too can change our world. Because we will be prepared for what the, God, for what the Father has for us. Amen. So prayer is preparatory. So I just want you to hear that because I want you to, to grab hold of that as we begin to move forward. Now, we're going to dive on into this. I've told you about that, but I felt like I needed to set this up tonight back with that, with that word that the Spirit of God put in my heart, that prophetic word, so we can begin to move forward. Now, I'll make this statement. I've made it now for years, a couple of years to you. What you do now determines what happens next. What you do now determines next. Now determines next. So if we engage now, then what's coming next can be God's plan. Okay. Now, so here's what I want to talk to you about. This is, this is the second part of that prophetic word that the Lord dropped into my heart that I haven't shared with you. This part. And, and that is this. The second part of that word was I felt like the Spirit of the Lord said to me, this was, this was on July the 19th. I wrote the date down. I felt like the Spirit of the Lord spoke into my heart about the Spirit is stirring in Gethsemane again, moving in Gethsemane again, the place of the press. And then I heard the Spirit of the Lord say to my heart, and the church, and I heard it in the, in the form, my mind went to our church. Now, it really can go for any church, the church, Church of Jesus Christ. But the, the church is as... An olive tree. That's what I heard the Spirit 
say the second part of that word that was so the spirit of the Lord is stirring in Gethsemane again in the place of the press in these transitionary times and Gethsemane was a olive grove it was olive trees a garden of olive trees and and then I hear the spirit of the Lord saying the church is as an olive tree so what I want to do tonight is I want to set up this journey of prayer talking to you for a few moments about the olive tree. Because I think it is important. An olive tree, as you know, the olive will produce, the olive tree produces olives. Out of an olive comes what? Oil. Squeezed olive oil comes out of, out of an olive. It's pressed out. That's what the... That's what the olive press is all about. They take the olives, they shake them off the tree because they don't want to damage the tree. They, they get the olives off and then they put them in the press and they press the olives and the oil comes out. And the best oil that comes out is used for the best things. The, the anointing oil and then the cooking oil and all the great things that, that olives will produce. And then the worst of the oil when it turns black and it ripens too much will be used in other ways. And so we, we or maybe it's the other way around, when it's ripened more it's better than when it's not. But, but the olive will produce oil. Now, I, probably everybody here, probably most of you watching will understand when we talk about oil... In Scripture, in Scripture, oil represents most often the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit over and over is represented by oil. He's the oil of anointing. The priests would be anointed on their, on their head and the, the oil that would run down over the beard and onto the garments of Aaron and, and the anointing oil that would be put on the ear and the right thumb and the right big toe as an anointing uh, of, of leadership and of direction. And oil represents the Holy Spirit. So if the church in this that I heard the Lord say to me is as an olive tree, that means that the what produces oil is flowing through us. So the Holy Spirit is going to flow into our life. There's going to be a life support system that allows us to grow. And what we produce will be pressed out, but will be full of the Holy Spirit. To reach into our world. Filled with the Spirit and everything we accomplish and produce will be through the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, and here's how I want to tie prayer into this, because prayer is a release of what is in us. So, an olive tree has to release what is in it. So it releases the, the ability to produce the olive that holds the oil that can be squeezed out. But it's all about a releasing. Okay? So we need, to, we need to hear that. Prayer is the way of release in our life. Let me, let me take you to a scripture. Now, I'm, just, I'm, I'm taking my time tonight a little bit because I want you to get this picture. James, go with me. James chapter 5. You, you probably know the scripture. Many of you probably do. But James chapter 5 and verse number 14. James 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, now listen to this. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, we, we understand and we practice this and we will always practice this. But we will call people forward that are sick if they have need and we will anoint them with oil. We'll, we'll take the bottle of oil. I don't, we're, we're socially distanced and so uh, uh, we haven't been able to be practicing that much. I'd have to find my oil bottle. That's sad, isn't it? I'd have to find it. I'm not sure where it's at. But we will, we will take the oil bottle, that olive oil, and we will take it in or an oil, anointing oil, and we will place it upon their head and this is the scripture that that comes from but here's what hit me as I'm studying this and I see this in this mindset of the church as an olive tree that produces the Holy Spirit flows through them now listen to this is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord I think there's something far deeper than just putting some oil on our finger and putting it on someone's head. I think that not only are we supposed to put some oil on our finger and put it on, our head, on their head, I believe our prayers are supposed to produce an anointing of the oil of the Spirit. That the words that we are saying, that the prayers that we are offering are anointing prayers. Anointing them with oil as we pray over them. The words of faith and exhortation. The words of anointing. The words of the scriptures on healings begin to wash over the person as an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've never, I've never even seen that scripture that way before until I was looking at it through these eyes. And all of a sudden it hit me. My prayers carry, if I'm a believer and I'm engaged, carry an anointing of the Holy Spirit because I speak the Word of God. I speak by faith. I'm doing more than just laying hands. I'm speaking God's Word. And God's Word is full of His Spirit. And His Spirit is the oil that anoints us. Watch this. Verse 15. And the prayer... Of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And all of a sudden, I saw this differently. Because I saw that the, the oil that we anoint with is symbolic, but the words we are speaking and praying are the words of God that carry power. And then verse 15, and then it was that prayer of faith. It's not the person. It's not the oil we put on their head. Is anybody, are y'all are with me? Are you, do you see that? It's not, now I'm not, I'm not against anointing with oil. I'm going to anoint with oil every time I can because that's the symbolism of what the words coming out of our mouth are producing as the Spirit is engaged in them. Ooh, amen. I feel like preaching that a little bit. I, I feel some preach coming on me. We, we, but if we are in tune with the Lord and we are communicating with the Lord, we are powerful. 
And prayer becomes powerful because it becomes full of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so when someone comes and says, would you pray for me? It's not my words. It is as I'm praying a prayer of faith, the Holy Spirit is washing over them. Has nothing to do with me other than my faith is in agreement with God's word. It's His power by His Spirit. But if, if I am in tune with Him and I've given prayer priority and I'm operating in the power of prayer, that prayer of faith can result in the answers the person needs. Amen. Because we're as an olive tree and what we release has an anointing upon it. Have you ever thought about the responsibility of your prayers? Have you ever thought about the responsibility of what you carry to release in your prayers? Maybe if we would take that responsibility serious, we would be more serious about our prayer life. Because we are, when we are asked to pray over something, we are to pray with an anointing in faith that can make a difference. It's not all, it's not us. It is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're the olive tree that releases the olive, that, that produces the oil. It's the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ and the Father that takes care of it. But we release it. And if we are not properly prepared and we have not prioritized our devotional life, we're not prepared in that moment. And we run around saying things like, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of nervous because what if I pray and nothing happens? As if it's up to us anyway. The best thing I can do for you when you need prayer, the most responsible thing I can do, the commanded thing I can do, is before you ever come to me asking me to pray for you, is to have a prayer life and a devotional life that is prioritized and powerful so that when you do come before me with a need, you can trust that what I'm going to pray is not going to be about me, but it's going to be a prayer of faith that releases the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ. This is all through Christ. It's not through us. It's not by us. But our responsibility is to be connected with the Father so that what is flowing through us is anointed. Wow. Hmm. I hope that makes sense to you. I hope maybe you'll see James chapter 5 in a different light. That when we take oil and we anoint someone, that's powerful. But what that's representing is that's representing what our words in the Spirit, if they, are, if they are the Word and they are full of faith and what Christ has accomplished, that oil on their head represents what, what now is producing through the church in prayer that is washing over that person and it produces healing and salvation and deliverance and victory. Your words have power if they are connected to the Father through Christ and are releasing the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I'm not going to, I'm going to get into that a little bit more in just a moment. Let me talk to you about prayer real quick. Prayer, the, the olive tree. The olive tree is an old tree. Because the church is as an olive tree. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. We, we're represented there. We're planted there. It's a place of pressing, but we have to be engaged. And an and olive tree has an average lifespan. Get this. The average lifespan of that olive tree in, in the Middle East is 500 years. Think about that. Some... Olive trees even live over 1,500 years. Can somebody just say, wow. Do you know what that means? That means that there are some olive trees over in Israel that are date way back, fairly close to the time Christ and the early church was walking upon this earth. Amen. The olive tree, that, that's how long it lasts. Here, here's what hit me in that. Prayer, as we are as an olive tree, and we're, we're tying this in with the prayer life, the communication life, the lifespan of a believer, prayer is a part of the planting process and the relationship process. Because let me tell you, that olive tree's not going to live that long if it's not planted properly and in right relationship to the nutrients it needs. Amen. I think I discovered a problem with believers that give up too quickly. That fall away. That walk back. That make a commitment to Christ and then go back. Let me tell you what happened. They weren't planted. They weren't in relationship the right way where they could sustain. And prayer is key in that. Amen. If we're in right relationship with the nutrients needed, we are made to last. I think of the scripture that says, He that endureth to, endureth to the end shall be saved. We are made to endure. The olive tree is a tree that is created to endure if it's planted right and tied in with the nutrients. And prayer keeps us in relationship properly with the Father so that we can live the life He's called us to live. Amen. The church is as an olive tree. Prayer then, is a major part of the pruning process. Amen. Because pruning is how you prepare the olive tree to succeed. And prayer is a part of the pruning process that causes the believer to succeed. If we never pray, if we don't have that prayer time with the Lord, if we're not connected with the Father, if we're not communicating with the Father, Father tied in in relationship, then, then we are not allowing His Word and His presence and His Spirit to prune things out of our life, and we are not prepared to succeed. Let me, here, let me, let me, let me give you some facts about an olive tree. Is this, I hope it's alright with you. 
Here, here's what I found out about an olive tree. I'm not an olive tree expert. I just looked up some. I didn't look up Google. I didn't go to Wikipedia. I went to some sites that looked more reputable because I didn't want to hear everybody else's opinions. I wanted to hear someone that maybe knew something about it. You do know Wikipedia is a bunch of people throwing things in there just that they think. So you can't trust Wikipedia. <laughs> Amen. Okay, anyway, that's a whole other topic. Here, here's some things I found out about an olive tree in this concept that I'm trying to get to you now about the pruning process, preparing to succeed. Hey, you do not prune an olive tree for the first year. Okay, it's not, not ready yet. But you need to prune an olive tree every year after that. So while it is young and new, it's not about the pruning of it. It's allowing it to grow and do its thing. But then every year after that needs to be pruned. Pruning annually after that first year and consistently allows the olive tree to produce heavy crops. So if you don't prune it, it won't produce heavy crops. You know what I mean by heavy crops, right? Heavy crops means it's producing a lot. They're going to weigh a lot when you get them measured out. So if you want a lot of production, you have to be consistent with pruning. Amen. And prayer, consistency in prayer prunes us. And prunes away the flesh and the things that are not needed. God shows us and reveals to us things that are not needed. Here's another thing. An olive tree, it bears, now listen to this. It bears fruit from its previous year's growth. The fruit that it bears is from its previous year's worth of growth. The church is as an olive tree. If we want to produce fruit, the fruit we produce is going to come from our previous time of growth. Amen. I'm just going to leave that and let you think on that a little bit. Here's, here's another good thing about an olive tree. An olive tree never bears fruit on the same wood twice. It never bears fruit on the same wood twice. Once it bears, it has to be pruned off. So it will produce again, but it's going to produce on, on another growth. So Christians, we're all the time trying to produce off of what we've already done. But God says, no, you've got to let me do new things in you constantly. I'm bringing new growth out of you constantly. Don't rely on just the past. Live with me now. Grow with me now so that I can produce again in your life. Here, here's this. It's very important that you remove what they call suckers and water sprouts Whenever you see them. So you don't wait. If you see something that's a sucker or something that is a water spout, you got to get it off because it's going to affect what it produces. Come on, church. Are, are y'all with me? Are, are y'all hearing me? I'm, I'm talking about us. 
not really the tree. So when we see something that's sucking life out of us or pulling water away from us, we got to get it out then. Don't let it grow together. Don't let it stay on. It's going to limit our production. Here's another thing I learned about olive trees. Mature olive trees are very drought tolerant. So when an olive tree is mature, it can withstand, withstand in difficult times and circumstances. Because it's grown, it's mature. But at the same time, a regular watering schedule, and they don't have to have lots of water, but a regular watering schedule establishes olive trees quicker. So if you give it the water needed on a regular basis, it gets established quicker. And here's, a, here's another one. As it's going to die or it's cut down, here's what happens. As it dies or it's cut down, new branches sprout up from its roots. Amen. So as a believer, when we, it's our time to go and we die. If we have lived our life right, out of our roots, new New growth is going to occur. Heritage, lineage, our family is going to follow. We, we are at prayer is a part of the pruning process. Prayer is a part of the growth process. And we got to stay in connection with the Father so that we can prune off old things so that new things can occur. So that we can stay in communication and receive what we need so we can continue to bear fruit. We've, we've got to prune what, what, what is necessary out of our lives so what is good from God will be free to freely produce. Come, come on, someone. Only through prayer can you do that. David prays and he says, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Maybe we could say, prune me, O God. Man, let your word prune me. If something is sucking life away from me, let me get rid of it now. Prayer is a part of the pruning process, preparing us to succeed. Prayer is a part of the planting process. Causing us to be in long relationship with the Father. And prayer is a part of the producing process. As an olive tree produces olives that produce an anointing oil. <laughs> Amen. Let me, let, me, let me take you here and I'm going to close right here. I'm, I'm going to stop. But this is important that you hear this. Go with me to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And verse 1. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. This is midway in the tribulation period. Now, or up, not, not mid, up to the midway point. So, so something is going to happen. The church is going to be raptured out. Something is going to be happening uh, during that first three and a half year period. And here's what uh, chapter 11 tells us. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple and the altar. Verse 2, But leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it. It's been given to the Gentiles. They'll tread it under, un, they'll tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Three and a half years. And I will give power, verse 3, to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for three and a half years. For 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. 
These are the two olive trees. And the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And verse number 7, And when they finish their testimony, when they quit being witnesses, when they quit testifying, and producing the works that they're called to produce in that moment, when they stop that, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. We, the, their dead bodies are going to lay in the, in the street, and there's going to be a party around the world. They're going to be happy that these men are dead because they've been bothering them and telling them about God. And, and, and so, the, for three and a half days, their body's going to lay there, and then, and then all of a sudden, they're going to rise up and ascend into heaven and, and be resurrected. Okay, so that, that's the story that's coming. But they are called the two olive trees. Now, we could get into who they are. Most biblical scholars believe that one absolutely, and I 100% agree, agree is Elijah. Because the scripture said, Malachi says Elijah has to come first before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And, and John the Baptist was a representation of Elijah. But I believe Elijah is coming. He never died. He, he was translated into heaven. And uh, I believe he's going to be one of the witnesses. That's what I believe. The other witness that most people believe, it's either between Moses or Enoch. And Enoch was the other that walked with God and never died. Whatever you believe on that is going to be up to you. But... But there's good arguments for both. I'm not really here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the concept of the two olive trees. And what were the two olive trees? They were witnesses. They, they were in sackcloth, the Bible's going to say. They, they were men that testified about God. They were men that were in communication with God. They had power that they could, they could shut up the heavens. They could, they could turn the water to blood. How many know that's the power of the Holy Spirit moving through their lives? They had a communication line with the Father. They were protected from the enemy. They are two powerful witnesses for the kingdom of God. They, they are prayer. Their prayerful lives. Their lives of communication with the Father produced their testimonies. Their testimony was given day and night. They had revelation day and night. Their, their testimony was they were protected from their enemies. Their testimony was they walked in power and demonstration. And they were called the two olive trees. Where is our witness? Where is our power in demonstration? And we're not, we're not them. That's an appointed time. But do you know God has called us to power in demonstration? God has called us to be witnesses. We, we, in Revelation 12 and 11, we read that the way people overcome the adversary is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We are to be witnesses for the Father. Okay, let me, let me give you this last scripture and we're going to close. Now go with me back where that originates, that story of those two witnesses, in the Old Testament to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4.
Verse 1, now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? Now, hold on a second because I, I was seeing things in this. Because you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? You, you remember what the two things that happened to them when Jesus came back? And what did he say to them the first time? He said, are you sleeping? And then the second time he came back and he said, their eyes were heavy. Now, we come to Zechariah and it says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? Open your eyes. Okay. So I said, I am looking. And there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are beside it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. And I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No. And he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Because out of those olive trees are branches that's dripping olive oil, oil into the lampstand that's lighting the lamps. And he says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. He shall bring forth the capstone with shout of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, who has de despised the day of small things. For, the, for these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now listen. Then I answered and I said to him, What are these two olive trees? At the right hand of the lampstand and at its left. And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? And then he answered me and he said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And so he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And then in the reference over into Revelation, we see a picture of them standing at the end of days as they are still, God still has His anointed ones that are dripping the oil. Amen. Now, here's what I wanted to say. In verse 14, George, will you pull verse 14 up in the New Living Translation? I think it is. Zechariah chapter 4. Lord, help me. i got to get done. Zechariah chapter 4. And verse 14. He goes on and he says, Then he said to me, They represent these two anointed ones who stand in the court of the Lord of the whole earth. In the Hebrew, here's what it says. In the Hebrew, these two anointed ones are sons of fresh oil. Amen. They are sons of fresh oil. What I've come to ask you tonight is if we will prioritize 
prayer and we will walk in the power of prayer, we can be sons and daughters of fresh oil. Because the oil representing the Spirit that is enacted in our lives through prayer is a part of the producing process. It produces the olive that produces the oil. And out of our lives comes fresh oil. And just as those two witnesses are going to stand and produce power and are going to stand and call down uh, the, the weapons of God upon their enemies and are going to stand as a witness for Christ in dark days, the church is called to be sons and daughters of fresh oil today that we are to go forth and make a difference in the world that we are living in. In the day of Zerubbabel, we have the priest and we have the leader that stands represented by that picture. God always has people of fresh oil that are as olive trees that are producing. And always, prayer is how it is enacted. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Come on, somebody. He says, he goes on, he says, Then will I hear from heaven, and will I heal their land. For my eyes are always open, my ears are always attent. Hmm. I want to be a son of fresh oil. And the only way I know how to get there Is through prayer. Prioritizing. And recognizing the power. Of prayer. We carry a great responsibility. People in need. Need us to be able to pray a prayer of faith. That would release the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The world needs us to be witnesses. Do you know our world today needs us to be a witness for Christ just as bad as the tribulation world is going to need those two witnesses to stand and be a witness for God? They need us right now. But if we are not praying, remember, the olive tree produces off of the growth throughout the year. So we got to be praying and we got to be communicating and we got to be ready now for what's coming. I hope somehow this just speaks to us and gets our minds in a place where on this journey of prayer, we will see the priority and the necessity. We have a job to do. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if a relationship with God is deep within our heart. Out of the abundance of that relationship, we will speak. And out of our speech will come the anointing of the Holy Spirit that then is released to change the world. Do you remember when Jesus said to Peter, stand up with me. I'll, I'll teach all night long. Stand, stand up with me. We'll close. Do you remember when Jesus said, said to the disciples, who do men say that I am? They begin to name off everybody. They said Isaiah. Some say you're this one. Some say Jeremiah. Some say John the Baptist raised from the dead. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, 
said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this you will be called Peter, Cephas, the little rock, but upon this rock of your confession, who Jesus is, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Come come on. Whatever you loose on earth. Can I tell you as believers, we have a responsibility. What are we releasing? We release out of what we're communicating with. We speak out of what we are thinking on and who we are communicating. If we're communicating with the world, if that's where our worship is, if that's where our time is spent, that's what's coming out of our mouth. And there's no anointing in that. No wonder we go to dead churches and never see anything happen. Never see lives changed. Never see results. Never see power. Because we're so in tune with the world that we're not producing an anointing that can change the world. If we're connected to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, if we've been given the keys to the kingdom, then the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And we've got some keys and we've got some things in us and we've got an abundance of relationship in us that when we now speak, we speak out of an anointing. And the Holy Spirit flows out of His words, not our words, out of His words, out of what He has revealed to us and He flows into the life of others. We are His witnesses. We are sons and daughters of fresh oil. We are as an olive tree. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight. I give you praise. I ask that you take this thought and that you drive it into our hearts. You help us to realize the great responsibility we carry. This is only a picture, Lord, and with any as with any picture, there are parts of pictures that fail and fade and don't fit in. And any picture is that way. And Father, this this is not a perfected picture, but I believe with everything in me that you're saying this to us in this moment. The Spirit of the Lord is moving and stirring in Gethsemane. Again, and we are as an olive tree. And in the place of the press is the place where those connected to the right source produce. Father, let us hear it. Let us accept the call. And let us find the priority of prayer and see the powerful results. Let our speech be flavored with your spirit. Let our words be filled with the power of your word and the might of your spirit. It's not by might nor by power of our own, but it's by your spirit pouring in the oil that is released. We love you. We honor you. And we bless you tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.